Fired Up show starts right now. And welcome, everybody. Welcome back to Fired Up right here on WJMS Media. This is Steve, your host. And first of all, I apologize for not being uh, posting issues out over the last uh, couple of weeks. Uh, I had a battle with a cold and some other things that kept me away from uh, podcasting. But I'm back now, and we have uh, a, a jam-packed show uh, to get caught up on some of the things that uh, have occurred over the last uh, two weeks or so. So let's get started, as always. Uh, let's update on where we are with COVID. And for the COVID pandemic, we are at 99.89 million cases. Uh, that have been reported. So we are uh, just shy uh, of 100 million cases of COVID being reported here in the United States. And keep in mind, that number is probably an underestimate because uh, there's a a lot of home testing going on and and unreported uh, positive cases that may not make it into the tracking system. Uh, we've had 1.09 million people who have died from the disease and 656.2 million people uh, have been vaccinated. Now, according to the latest information from the medical community, uh, there is another new variant that is uh, popping up around the country. And in combination with the RSV and the very aggressive strain of the flu, that's going around. We have what uh, the community has been calling the triple-demic going on. Uh, The bottom line is uh, everybody, we need to uh, return to our uh, safety protocols, uh, wearing masks when we're in crowds and and wherever the situation may require it, and also making sure that we are keeping our distance and doing all of the things that we've been talking about, not only here on this show, but that has been discussed and coming out of the medical and scientific community for going on two and a half years now, uh, more than ever with the latest COVID variants that are out there. Uh, You need to take care of people. You need to make sure that you're protecting yourself and your loved ones uh, from getting COVID. And even though the, the latest strains are a lot less virulent than either the original COVID or even the Omicron that uh, is still out there and is still uh, a, a problem for us, uh, we need to make sure that we're protecting ourselves. So let's make sure that we're doing what we need to do. Let's keep safe. Let's keep our loved ones, our communities safe so that uh, we can hopefully enjoy something like a near normal type of Christmas holiday coming up. And again, New Year's the week after that. Uh, but just be cautious because with the crowds and the parties and, and everybody gathering, uh, it's likely that we will see a couple of spikes in COVID uh, in the coming weeks and, and, and or a month or so. So let's take care of ourselves. Uh, let's make sure we're staying healthy. That being said, uh, let's get into uh, some news. The the big item, and uh, there was a lot of uh, competition for what I call the big item coming out of at least the last week, uh, but as of the, the time that you're listening to this podcast, uh, the January 6th committee will have held its final 
public meeting and will also be uh, issuing its report on the findings that they have come out with. And they have a list of people that they are making uh, recommendations to the Department of Justice for you know, further investigation and you know, perhaps prosecution for crimes, uh, including defrauding uh, the federal government, uh, interfering with an official proceeding, and so forth. And among the people that are likely uh, to be listed, and as I said, uh, as of the recording of this, uh, the final list is, is not known, but by the time you hear this, uh, it should be all over the news everywhere as to uh, what individuals the January 6th committee is recommending further actions by DOJ uh, be taken. Um, so just so that you note is that it has also been widely reported that former President Trump is on that list uh, as far as uh, people who uh, the committee is recommending to DOJ and will be handing over all their evidence uh, to DOJ uh, that you know, the former president uh, is also on that list for possible charges to stem from the DOJ. Keep in mind that the committee does not have you know, the, the power or authority to indict anyone uh, or to uh, arrest or charge anyone. Uh, what they are doing is making recommendations to the Department of Justice based on you know, their examination and the evidence that they've uncovered as to who people are that DOJ should look at taking further action on. So we will, of course, keep on top of this. Uh, once the report uh, comes out in the public domain, uh, I, I will be you know, obviously getting a copy of it. Uh, it is likely to be a huge document and so it, it may take a little bit to parse through but we'll we'll try and find authoritative summaries and get you information on you know what's contained in the report uh, and you know where where it went what it uh, ended up with and what could be the likely outcomes from it so We'll be following this story closely over the coming weeks here on the Fired Up podcast, and we'll keep you informed as to what we learn and what the uh, the media and you know various sources on on both sides of the political spectrum are talking about. Uh, remember, you you really should listen to a wide selection of uh, media sources, not just you know a a single. Uh, cable news channel or, you know, single or, or uh, you know, targeted uh, uh, online channels. Listen to a wide variety of what's being discussed because, as we always say, the truth lies somewhere in the middle of the circle. So, you know, the, the upshot is that the committee has uh, concluded uh, its work um, and with the transition and change of power in the House of Representatives on January 3rd, uh, the uh, January 6th committee uh, is likely to be disbanded. Uh, that's already been uh, made known from uh, likely incoming Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy. Uh, and we will see what happens uh, coming, coming up. So according to news articles, 
the panel uh, is going to release the first components of its final report, uh, or by now has released the first components uh, of the report um, as of uh, today, Monday, and will um, you know, start to detail what it believes uh, the, the key elements are. Um, one of the key things, of course, that's been discussed is the panel uh, has long contended Trump broke the law uh, in service of his bid to seize uh, a second term as president, uh, including uh, up to and including uh, inciting the January 6th uh, attack on the Capitol, uh, you know, trying to pressure uh, various state legislatures, le legislators rather, and attorneys general to uh, doctor the results or report, you know, uh, additional results, the most notable of which is his well-publicized phone call with uh, Brad Raffensperger, uh, where he's on recording uh, telling him he needs to find uh, 11,700 some odd uh, votes in order to give him enough to win the Georgia election and, and have thrown the 2020 election into turmoil. Obviously, we've also experienced uh, what went on with the uh, certification count in Congress on the day of the insurrection where uh, President, former President Trump uh, worked hard to try and pressure his then Vice President Mike Pence uh, to disregard the results of the electoral college counts and instead uh, insert uh, a, other electors and basically declare Trump the winner of the election, even though some uh, 7.8 million votes uh, said otherwise, and that uh, you know, President Joe Biden got a, the majority of electoral college votes, thereby solidifying him as the uh, president of the United States. So, you know, we're not done with 2020 yet. Uh, it, it is going to continue to be a subject of discussion, likely for, you know, uh, uh, another year at least, probably a couple of years to come. Uh, we will see what happens. One of the questions that is coming out is to see what happens with the investigation into January 6th. Uh, is it going to switch over to a Senate committee uh, as the, uh, the Senate uh, remains in the control of the Democrats? Uh, or, you know, is by some stretch the Republican House going to take up some form of investigation into what transpired on January 6th? But I wouldn't exactly hold my breath on uh, that possibility. Uh, they seem to be much more focused on digging into uh, lesser issues such as, you know, Hunt, Hunter Biden and his laptop um, and the withdrawal of U.S. troops from Afghanistan, uh, a whole collection of things that are not related to the January 6th insurrection uh, that the Republicans seem to be hellbent for leather to uh, lay at the feet of, you know, President Joe Biden. So, you know, it, it's it's going to be, you know, political turmoil, you know, 24 hours a day or as far as we can see into the into the upcoming future. 
So we just need to make sure that whatever elements they're raising, you know, it, it's up to us to make sure as the voters, as the electorate, that we dig and find out uh, as much of the truth as we can and, you know, base our decisions and discussions with our elected officials, as always, on you know, what transpired, what is the truth, what do, we, uh, what do we need to tell our elected officials they need to be doing uh, and, and you know, to be focused on uh, what's going on. In addition to that, there are some other key uh, pieces of legislation that must get passed. Uh, there is a uh, handling of the, the debt ceiling for the United States of America. Uh, if, if the House fails to act on that, uh, it is possible that the United States will default on its uh, debt payments, which would be financially devastating, not just to this country, given where we are economically right now, but also it will send ripple effects all around the world as the, the United States dollar is the benchmark currency pretty much of the, the free world. And if the, the faith in in the, the backing of our currency by the U.S. government uh, comes up shaky, then that's going to create just a, an economic tsunami that is going to roll around uh, all of the, uh, the, the free nations of the world and just create, you know, basically holy havoc with the economic systems. Uh, so, you know, that vote is extremely important. Uh, there are some other votes that Congress needs to take uh, they need to, uh, to finalize a budget. Uh, right now, uh, latest news I, I heard on Sunday was that a continuing resolution was passed to fund the government for a, a short-term period, probably not to exceed a couple of weeks until the new Congress uh, takes the oath of office. Uh, but just so that the the government uh, does not run out of money and, you know, the the business of the United States can continue at least on a very, very short term basis. Uh, and this is something that, you know, we have come to see time and time again, particularly around, you know, transitions between administrations and other elements where uh, one party will will hold uh, the debt ceiling and the budget process hostage to try and get you know some of their agenda items addressed uh, and you know it, it just goes to create a bunch of turmoil uh, if you remember back uh, there was something called the sequester that was put forward uh, in 2008 or 9 uh, during the Obama administration where the Tea Party and uh, its leader, Newt Gingrich, uh, basically uh, came within a hair's breadth of holding the economy of the United States hostage uh, to this, this process and ended up actually getting a version of this so-called sequester uh, put in place, which meant that in order for the U.S. government to spend any money, there had to be an equal and balancing cut in expenditures uh, to account for it. Uh, it. It created a, a very palpable turmoil that went on within the federal government 
there was, in fact, a brief government shutdown. Uh, and you know, that is also uh, one of the tools that's on the Republican table uh, that they will let the, the government shut down uh, and you know, furlough you know, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of federal workers uh, you know, in, including you know, the people who process Social Security and Medicare payments, uh, you know, and, and all you know, non-essential government functions uh, just in order to force the Democrats uh, to come to the table and make concessions on expenditures and on the budget uh, to, to, uh, to save uh, the government from defaulting. So, you know, ultimately, and, and this is something that is an ongoing discussion, but that we need to make sure that we are you know, keeping in front of our elected officials that this is not the way that we expect our elected officials to run the business of the United States of America. So it's something that we will keep an eye on. Uh, obviously, we will have further discussions on this, and, uh, and I will let you know what transpires. So, you know, strap in, stay tuned, uh, and, you know, get your list of your elected officials together so that you can reach out to them, you know, through you know, phone, text, email, fax, uh, carrier pigeon, whatever uh, you need to do to get messages to your elected official that it's time that they stand up and take care of uh, the, the, the government itself and the people, uh, you know, first and foremost. Uh, it, it has been too long. You know, we're, we're talking, this is an every year thing. We're talking decades that we've had these continuing resolutions, these kicking the can down the road actions uh, that you know fund the government a week, two weeks, a month, whatever at a time, when what we really need is a a well planned, well thought out, well executed, solid budget for our country, so that we can know what's transpiring and what's coming. So, like I said, I will keep you posted as to what transpires, and you know. Whatever the, the outcomes are, we will be talking about it here on the Fired Up podcast. So that was you know, part of this week. Uh, there was a, a, a lighter moment, I guess you would say, uh, a, 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 actually a humorous moment, uh, where there was an announcement that was made by the former president that he had a major announcement coming out, which immediately... Uh, generated a, a huge amount of buzz in the press and the media that perhaps he was going to announce uh, a running mate in his you know, upcoming presidential bid uh, or you know, something along that line. So there was a lot of buzz generated by you know, this announcement from the former president uh, of you know, this major uh, announcement that he was putting forward and uh, everybody was in, in high anticipation of what this could be. I don't think anyone uh, expected what this major announcement ended up being. Uh, what happened was uh, former president Donald Trump issued a set of NFT trading cards, uh, digital trading cards, uh, that he was putting on the market 
for $199 essentially uh, each uh, and that there would be something like 45,000 of them some you know more of some than others some were going to be uh, limited editions in order to increase their rarity and and their value Uh, and when I when I saw these these cards um, my first reaction was uh, semi-hysterical laughter. Um, these cards depicted the former president in various uh, costumes and means, uh, you know, almost a, a cosplay uh, deck. Uh, in one, he is, you know, depicted as a, you know, muscular superhero type, you know. Uh, in another, he was, you know, a, a cowboy. Uh, he depicted himself as an astronaut, as a race car driver, uh, all of these different uh, memes uh, with, you know, his, his face on, you know, the, the, this artwork body that really uh, most, uh, most collectors, you know, uh, agree that they're really not very high quality, you know, they're very poorly photoshopped. Um, but not the least of which is that they depict uh, the former president as, you know, this younger, virile, uh, you know, muscular, slim person, which if, if you've seen the pictures of, you know, President Trump on the golf course, you will clearly see that he is none of those things. Um, and, you know, they, they, the upshot is, they were released on Wednesday, uh, on last Wednesday, and they sold out within 24 hours. Uh, so, you know, 45,000 of these digital cards, they're not even, you know, real paper trading or cardboard trading cards. They're just digital images. Uh, sold out at $99 a piece. And according to news stories, you know, from the weekend, uh, some of the rarer ones have already appreciated in value uh, in, in some cases uh, as much as, you know, uh, uh, two or three thousand uh, percent. So in, instead of the projected, you know, perhaps four and a half million dollars uh, that it would have raised on on you know, face value, it's now, last I saw, it's now somewhere north of $17 million. And here's the thing, is this money is not going to, to fund the former president's upcoming campaign. Uh, this money is not going to uh, support other uh, Republican candidates. Uh, this money is uh, being paid, being split between the company that produced the cards and Donald Trump. So basically, uh, for those out there who, you know, are are loyal to the former president and saw this and and purchased these uh, NFT cards, uh, believing that they are supporting the further efforts uh, of Donald Trump in his his bid to be reelected as president, actually, uh, it's just another in the series of uh, grifts and cons that Donald Trump has perpetrated on his most loyal supporters. And as I said, not only are these, you know, not uh, trading cards in the traditional sense 
of trading cards. You know, you, when you think of, you know, baseball cards or, or, or football cards, you know, uh, the kind, you know, when you were a kid, they used to get and had a stick of gum in it and so forth. And you'd have these cards. No, these are just digital images. Uh, and, you know, there are you know, sweepstakes prizes included uh, among uh, among others, you know, a a and a a sweepstakes for a round of golf at one of Donald Trump's golf courses, uh, a uh, dinner with the former president uh, and, and so forth. Uh, again, as, as I said, you know, uh, another uh, in the series of grifts or cons that, you know, the former president uh, has concocted over the years, uh, lining up with, you know, Trump vodka, Trump University, and so on and so forth. Uh, and it, it raises uh, what I think is a legitimate question that I would put out there to uh, Republican supporters of the former president, particularly uh, those in, in the MAGA group uh, as to how many times uh, are you going to let this man you know, reach into your pocket and you know, take money out of your, uh, your wallet or your purse and return you so little value for what you give. Uh, in, in the uh, midterm elections, uh, Donald Trump raised something to the tune of 270 something million dollars uh, allegedly or supposedly for Republican candidates, you know, including, you know, support of Herschel Walker down in, in Georgia. And actually, uh, about 170 million of that uh, went straight into the pocket of the former president and didn't go where he had stated it was supposed to go or it was intended to go or whatever. So, you know, the, the key word here is grift. And, you know, any, any opportunity that seems to present itself as a way for uh, getting additional money to go to the former president directly, uh, it seems not to be out of bounds for this, this man to, to reach for. And it, it begs the question as to when is enough enough? And, you know, what we are seeing and what news reports are, are stating is that, number one, uh, overall in Republican circles, the former president's uh, approval rating continues to uh, get lower. Um, I've heard numbers as low as 30 percent. Uh, yet, you know, of course, within the MAGA circles, uh, he still has a, a high approval rating uh, north of 70 percent. Uh, but again, when you consider the numbers that we're talking about, uh, that is, you know, a, a quarter of the uh, registered Republican voters out there. Um, and, you know, it, it just has to raise the question as to, you know, have we had enough? Has there been enough of the games that, you know, this individual is playing to where, you know, more and more of the Republican Party as well as more and more of, you know, his base is just going to begin to, you know, distance themselves from the former president, um, hopefully sooner rather than later, 
so that we can get back to the more serious business of governing this country and being a, a uh, leadership example for the world. Uh, the Republican Party uh, back in the day used to be that party that professed to, to be the holders of that golden light on the hill, that beacon for the rest of the world. Now it looks like it has degraded down to you know, some level of financial scheme in order to just generate money uh, to go to, to various elements of the uh, right-wing political specter. So we will you know, keep watch on this, as always. We'll keep you informed as to what's going on. Um, and you know, hopefully uh, this will maybe be the last uh, hurrah for the former president uh, before you know, his base and the Republican Party finally come to their senses and say enough is enough so all right we'll uh, we'll take our break here when we come back on the other side uh, we've got some more news to talk about some things that have gone on in the last couple of weeks while i've been uh, off the air so uh, you're listening to the fired up podcast right here on wjms media this is steve and we'll be right back after the break my name is Jamie Bowles, and I was diagnosed with non-small cell lung cancer in December of 2018. Nobody would even know looking at me that I have stage four lung cancer, and I'm grateful for biomarker testing for that. When I was sitting down with my oncologist, there was already state-of-the-art medication available that I was going to be put on right then and there. Ask your doctor how comprehensive biomarker testing before treatment may help you decide on the best treatment. Visit noonemist.org to learn more. A public service message from Longevity Foundation. And we're back. We're back right here in Fired Up Podcast on WJMS Media. So uh, some other things that uh, came across the desk during my absence uh, was that the uh, landmark legislation that would codify uh, the right to same-sex and interracial marriage uh, came to uh, President Biden's desk and he signed it into law uh, this past week. Uh, this legislation uh, basically uh, codifies a provision that had been uh, on the books due to a court decision uh, and made it now law of the land. Uh, most notable in the passage of the bill was that back in July, when it, it came out of the House the first time, uh, 47 Republicans uh, had supported the bill, uh, making it truly a, a bipartisan piece of legislation. Well, in the final version that went to the president's desk, uh, that number of Republican supporters dropped, uh, but still 39 House Republicans uh, ultimately supported the measure, uh, meaning that you know it is a, a bipartisan uh, agreed to uh, law which strengthens it in in terms of its perception and you know likely its implementation uh, this law was also one of the final uh, pieces of legislation that speaker nancy pelosi uh, would gavel to conclusion as uh, her time as speaker of the house will come to an end obviously on january 3rd when you know likely but yet not uh, necessarily confirmed uh, incoming speaker Kevin McCarthy will take over the gavel and uh, leadership of the House of Representatives. Uh, 
Uh, I say likely because as of at least this broadcast, uh, he still does not have a solid commitment of the 218 or more votes that he needs in order to become Speaker of the House. Uh, news reports have also been uh, citing that uh, he has been seen uh, trying to uh, garner support from some in the Democratic caucus uh, to make sure that you know he has enough votes. Uh, so it, it will see we will see what happens when the uh, process for electing the speaker comes to the floor uh, sometime you know uh, around the third or, or fourth of January. And you know what is likely to transpire is that there will be you know more than one vote until you know he can get the needed number of votes you know assuming that you know he is the ultimate uh, uh, winner of the election uh, unless you know a a challenger can raise a you know significant majority of the house representatives uh, in order to uh, become speaker of the house so you know there's still some contention that is going to transpire in the House of Representatives regarding around who is going to uh, sit atop the dais and, and be the leader uh, of that uh, arm of the government. And, you know, by definition, uh, third in line to the presidency. So, you know, the, the key here in this legislation is that it provides protections for same-sex marriage and also for interracial uh, marriage to occur in this country, which was met with uh, a, a collective sigh of relief from the LGBTQ community uh, in, in terms of seeing their relationships and their families and their marriages uh, held up and supported by law and not just uh, on the basis of a Supreme Court decision or, you know, a federal court decision on what their status would be. So uh, according to what Nancy Pelosi said, the legislation would codify a legal reality already handed down by the Supreme Court, and she noted it would be one of the final measures she would sign as speaker. In addition to the House members that were uh, there for the vote, there are also uh, some other notable individuals uh, who were in the chamber for the vote, uh, one of which was uh, Senator Tammy Baldwin, a Democrat of Wisconsin, who had led the charge for the bill in the Senate, and also former Representative Barney Frank, a Democrat of Massachusetts, who was the first congressman to voluntarily come out as gay. Uh, Frank was quoted as saying, I was there for the birth of the Defense of Marriage Act, and I'm here for the funeral, he said. So, you know, this bill has uh, now been signed into law, and uh, which protects it from the wrath of the conservative Supreme Court, as had been threatened uh, by, you know, Justice Clarence Thomas and Justice Alito, among others, uh, as a target for uh, the court to take up in, in case uh, in the coming session. So, you know, that was a, this was a, a big day for, you know, same-sex couples and for interracial marriage. Uh, and, 
you know, again, something that was uh, put forward as a bipartisan uh, effort, uh, which, as I said earlier, strengthens uh, the legislation uh, beyond the fact that it is now law of the land, uh, but it is also a, uh, a law that has received bipartisan support, which is important when, you know, people consider, you know, how the law is to be applied and uh, what uh, may transpire with it in the future. So, you know, we're pleased uh, to see that the, this uh, Marriage Act is now law. Uh, and, you know, for those for whom it impacts, uh, we offer our congratulations on this important victory in, in their cause. And another uh, important uh, action that occurred uh, over the, the past week, uh, and this comes out of the Associated Press uh, and has been widely reported, uh, Arizona Senator Kirsten Sinema uh, basically stepped down from the Democratic Party and announced that she will now caucus as an independent, although she will continue to vote with uh, the Democratic caucus. Much like other notable uh, independents in the Senate, um, you know, Angus King and Bernie Sanders, uh, she will, in fact, uh, remain as a uh, caucus member with the Democrats, which means that there is no uh, impact of her resigning as a Democrat in terms of the control of the Senate. So the numbers don't change. And, and of course, you know, now that the Democrats uh, have a 51-49 majority in the Senate, uh, this is good news for uh, President Biden. Uh, gives him a little bit easier time in terms of working and uh, getting his agenda through the, the Senate and uh, a little strengthening of the ability to move things through the House as well, uh, where the uh, Republican margin in that body is in the single digits. That's, I believe, eight House members' uh, advantage to the Republicans. Um, obviously, as we've talked about uh, before in the results of the midterms, uh, it was expected that, you know, Republicans would have, you know, 29 or 30 seats uh, in their majority in the House. And, you know, that um, in, in, intended and, and anticipated red wave did not materialize. So at the end of the day, the Republicans in the House have uh, basically an eight seat majority. And if you look at the outcome of the uh the Marriage Act that just passed through the House, uh, it, it's clear that there are some Republicans who, at least in, in certain issues, and it remains to be seen how many times this may uh, recur in the future, um, who are willing to cross, cross over the aisle and vote with the Democratic side of the House uh, given the, the nature of whatever the legislation is that they are addressing at the time. Uh, however, it is a, a positive uh, step. It is uh, something that the Democrats should find encouraging. Uh, and, 
you know, it, it should make, as I said, um, the, the presidential uh, agenda of uh, Joe Biden uh, at least a little bit easier uh, to navigate through the House uh, and, you know, maybe to get some more things done. It will remain to be seen if the Republicans can solidify their caucus. And I think that the, the first true test, as I, I mentioned a few minutes ago, is the upcoming uh, vote for speaker uh, to see if uh, uh, you know, likely uh, lead candidate Kevin McCarthy uh, has, in fact, a solid uh, majority of his caucus you know, in the House. Uh, he has enough votes if everyone uh, voted. He has more than enough votes to get to the 218 he needs to become speaker. However, you know, it is it is not a slam dunk. Um, there have been you know, several Republicans who have expressed concern. Uh, there have even been a couple who uh, have uh, intimated that they may actually run in challenge to McCarthy for the speakership, uh, which could make for some really interesting um, floor battles. Uh, going forward. So it will remain to be seen how that plays out. Uh, however, um, you know, the, the, the upshot is that the transition of Arizona uh, Senator Sinema from Democrat to Independent isn't going to change or have a major impact uh, on the Democratic agenda. Uh, according to the article in AP, um, you know, they're saying, you know, they're asking the question what it means for the Democratic agenda. And the, the short answer is not much. Um, you know, Senator Sinema has always voted in a, quote, independent manner, uh, championing some party priorities such as same-sex marriage, uh, which she was instrumental in negotiating before Senate passage. Um, and opposing others uh, as she stood with West Virginia Democrat uh, Joe Manchin in opposition for any action that would weaken or eliminate the filibuster. Uh, and, you know, that still uh, is a, a potential sticking point. Um, you know, so it, it's interesting to see uh, what's going to trans transpire, transpire, excuse me. Uh, what it means for Senator Sinema is another question, though. Um, Democrats may actually uh, run a, a primary candidate against her for re in her reelection bid in 2024 uh, if she decides to run again. Uh, voters, according to the AP, will decide if they like her independent style, modeled after uh, the late Senator John McCain, or if they would prefer a partisan on the right or the left. Uh, and you know, Cinema acknowledges this, uh, stating, in a quote, my approach is rare in Washington, and it has upset partisans in both parties, she said. So it, it remains to be seen how all of this is going to play out in the Senate over the next two years. Uh, a lot of it rides on exactly how uh, independent Senator Sinema uh, comports herself in, in votes 
going forward on some of the key issues uh, that are still out there that needs to be addressed. Uh, there is still discussion on what to do about the filibuster, uh, and it will remain to be seen if she is going to hold fast to her longstanding position of not wanting to eliminate the filibuster. Perhaps in, in her new role, she may be more amenable to making some adjustments to it so that it becomes possible to establish carve-outs uh, for various legislations, such as a carve-out that was made for the appointment of federal judges, you know, up to and including the Supreme Court, which lowered, uh, lowered it from a filibuster requirement of 60 votes down to a simple majority of, you know, 50 plus one uh, in order for uh, judges to be appointed. By the way, in, in, in addressing that, having that 5149 majority in the Senate, uh, whereas the Senate has sole responsibility for the appointment of uh, judges to the federal bench, including the Supreme Court, um, you know, President Biden now has a pathway to begin to, uh, to backfill many of the open federal bench positions at you know, the appellate and district level uh, with Democrats uh, in order to you know, balance out the justice system a little bit more uh, against the, the uh, couple of hundred judges that were appointed during the Trump administration. So you know, it, there are battle lines or struggle lines or skirmish lines, whatever you want to call them. Um, there are lines being drawn as to how this new majority is going to play out and whether having a, uh, an independent Senator Kirsten Sinema who caucuses with the Democrats uh, is going to uh, have an impact on that. Keep in mind, because she is you know, now an independent, uh, she's not exclusively tied to the Democrats. So on some issues, uh, it, it may be that she may caucus with the Republicans, uh, although uh, that could be very politically dangerous for her. Uh, again, as I mentioned, uh, the Democrats are considering whether or not that they are going to raise a challenger for her seat in the 2024 uh, elections coming up. So, you know, as with everything, we will keep an eye on it. We will, we will track uh, how Senator Sinema uh, comports herself uh, as a new independent senator. And uh, we will bring you whatever it is that we find out. So trust and believe that we will keep an eye on this for you. Um, all right. So another story that came up and uh, this one uh, isn't uh, exclusively political, but it is uh, important and noteworthy. And that is, and this came out on the 9th of December, that the city of Minneapolis is going to buy the gas station uh, at the site of George Floyd's killing. Uh, the city of Minneapolis, according to the article, uh, has decided to buy the boarded up Speedway gas station at the intersection where George Floyd was killed by police and turn it into a racial justice healing center and permanent memorial for the black man. Uh, the city council voted unanimously uh, on uh, on uh, last Thursday 
to purchase the gas station at the intersection now known as George Floyd Square. The area has become a protest site since Floyd was killed in May of 2020 when white police officer Derek Chauvin used his knee to pin Floyd's neck to the pavement for nine and a half minutes as the 46-year-old Floyd gasped that he couldn't breathe and went limp. Also, a side note that another police officer who had his knee in Floyd's back uh, as Chauvin had his knee on Floyd's neck was also convicted of that, and I believe he has received a three-year uh, prison sentence as a result. Um, so the, the uh, real estate investment group that owns the land on which the, the former Speedway uh, gas station is has stated that it wants to unload the property uh, in part out of concerns over liability according to city documents. In March, the body of a 45-year-old man was found in the building, prosecutors said, uh, and he died from a fentanyl overdose. Some activists said that the city's involvement in taking over the property could taint the protest and community space uh, that emerged organically after Floyd's killing. Um, so, you know, in, in addition, it should be noted that four former Minneapolis police officers have been convicted of various charges in connection with Floyd's killing, including Chauvin, who was convicted of state murder and manslaughter charges last year and is serving a 22 and a half year prison sentence uh, in that case. So, you know, a, a, a positive outcome for, you know, what is arguably uh, a, a very dark day in the history of the city of Minneapolis, as well as a dark day uh, for this country. Uh, hopefully, uh, the, the transition to this, this peace and healing center moves forward smoothly, and it uh, lives up to its expectation as becoming a place where people can come to focus on, you know, on peace and on the good things that can be done in a city that can take, you know, a tragic event and turn it into a positive outcome. So we will watch that space. We will watch what transpires within the city of Minneapolis. And as news becomes available, we will, of course, bring it to you here on the Fired Up podcast. So you know, it, it's, you know, been an eventful uh, couple of weeks and and I think it is a, a positive and forward looking step uh, for the city of Minneapolis to convert uh, this location where, you know, this this public tragedy occurred into a, an official uh, place of peace and reconcile. Uh, so, you know, that is, I think, a positive outcome, uh, as I said, on what uh, became a very dark day for this country. Um, you know, there are others who have, you know, perished at the hands of uh, police and white supremacists and, and, and so forth. And hopefully we can find ways to, you know, to, to bring the light of uh, peace and tranquility to those locations as well. Maybe it's not in the form of a, quote, center, 
uh, for reconciliation, but it, it, it could definitely include uh, places where discussions on resolving issues and uh, you know, bringing groups within communities together to find ways to peacefully uh, coexist and peacefully uh, solve their disagreements uh, going forward. And, and I think that's an important message as we now are, are moving through uh, the week of the Christmas holiday where so much, uh, so much thought and consideration is, is, giving, is given to, uh, you know, to peace, is given to you know, uh, equal treatment by all uh, under, under the eyes of the law. You know, as you know, the the Christmas expression goes, you know, peace on earth and goodwill towards all people, um, I, I think is something that becomes even more uh, notable and more desirable, you know, as we look at, you know, what is going to transition uh, at the site of, you know, George Floyd's killing. And also, you know, we, we need to find ways to spread that message around to other locations and to get our elected officials uh, to get on board with the notion of, you know, finding peaceful solutions to these problems that that plague our country. Um, you know, uh, we we talk a lot about you know, you know banning various uh, types of weapons and you know um, all of the the animosity and anger uh, that that seems to just flow out of communities in our country. And yet, as we come around the Christmas holidays, we always uh, seem to see kind of a softening of the, the anger uh, and you know, the animosity uh, as, as people gather around for the, the high holiday seasons, you know, for Christmas. And now that we are into uh, the celebration of Hanukkah, and shortly we will begin the um, the African American tradition of Kwanzaa, and hopefully, you know, we can take these holidays that have so much meaning uh, to various uh, religious groups and ethnic groups around the country, and you know, and and build on that and move forward from that, uh, and maybe just maybe our our newly uh, elected Congress, uh, divided as it may be, uh, can find a way to incorporate that into the work that they do coming into uh, the new year and the new Congress. So we will, we will continue to remain hopeful. Uh, we will continue to main, remain prayerful that, you know, as always, as we say, you know, every year that the spirit of Christmas lives all year long. Uh, the spirit of Hanukkah carries through throughout the year and the, the community spirit and uh, participation in Kwanzaa and other, other holiday celebrations that occur around this time of year, um, that it carries forward, that we find a way to make that uh, something that becomes as much a part of the fabric of our our nation as you know what 
what we see happening you know, on a daily basis on our streets, uh, that we can transform, transform that into you know, a, a force for good. So that being said, and this being the, the episode prior to the Christmas holiday, let me be, if not the first, at least let me make sure that I am part of the chorus that wishes each and every one of you a safe and happy and joyous holiday season, regardless of the holidays that you celebrate now. Uh, please, uh, let's all work for peace. Let's all work for uh, understanding. And let's see if we can carry this forward and perhaps get our elected officials to have a little more understanding and a little more uh, cooperation among them as well. Uh, let's make sure that we continue our communication with our elected officials, uh, not just through the holidays, but throughout the whole year. Uh, so with, with that being said, we'll wrap up this show. Again, uh, everybody have a safe, joyous, and peaceful holiday season, regardless of the holiday that you celebrate. Uh, please take care. Please stay safe. Remember, uh, the, the pandemic and the, the viruses that are out there require our diligence uh, to make sure that we pre-protect ourselves, our families, our loved ones, and our communities. So with that being said, everybody, please enjoy the holiday, uh, and I will have another broadcast for you in seven days. Take care, everybody.